0: So this week we started to do some prep at the church. So as notice it's a little chillier today than it has been, and uh, that's just going to keep happening. So I started some prep at the church, uh, getting ready for us to be able to, uh, Lord willing, be able to go back there as well. Um, also this week um, we're going to be doing some more recording if you're part of the Pathway worship team and uh, can... Uh, Help with that. See Lori today and she'll fill you in. I think they have a a time picked uh, for recording some more music that we can use for our services. Um, At this point, we're going to have a word of prayer and uh, get ready for a good, get your blood flowing kind of song. Let's look to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I thank you that even at the most difficult of times, the most confusing of times, uh, this has not changed you. You are still uh, the God of uh, all creation, the God of the universe, the God of uh, bringing everything into the counsel of your own will. You are not surprised. uh, You are not thwarted in anything that you do. And I pray this morning specifically that you will help us um, see that in its grandeur, that even when we come to the lowest points of our lives, uh, we know that you are there. And that your goodness and your kindness and your everlasting love uh, is bestowed upon us just as much as when things are going wonderful. Father, help us now as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: My sin. Master and
2: servant, together in one, come to redeem what our hearts had undone. Savior of all, come to gather his kin, because of, in spite of, to cover my sin. In battle for souls he might win Because of him Bye.
0: again i'm glad to be able to be here and uh, for those of you that brought jackets i'm sure you're very thankful for that psalm chapter or book or chapter uh, psalm 84 verse 5 says this blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage and that's the theme and that's what we've been following for the past several weeks now as as we've looked in the past that we are God's temple, church, but each of us specifically, on a pilgrimage to the final temple, to our heavenly home. And in those times, uh, we have great highs, we have great lows, and we have some in the middle. And what we wanna look at today is our corona to-do list again, and things that we can concentrate on at a time of difficulty, because for some folks, This has become a time of great love, Uh, very great difficulty, not understanding and seeing other things. So as you look at your notes, you can see where we've covered and where we've gone and where we've been. Uh, And we've looked at last week showing uh, love by pursuing an approved faith, that faith that doesn't shave the edges like they shave the edges of the coin, Uh, be able to mark approved. And is there anybody that can remember your homework and your Greek word Yes, close enough. I'll take anything. As long as it started with a D, that sounds wonderful. Uh, that stamp of approved, to be able to pursue that uh, before the Lord and have that, um, when God would look at our faith, we're not offering excuses. We're to say, oh, I would have followed you, but, or you have to understand my situation's extra difficult, or I'm really uh, not able to do the things I should have because I have really good reasons, Lord. Uh, We're not ashamed where our excuses aren't ripped away and God lays us bare, but we're approved before him. Today, to-do number eight is show love by encouraging yourself in the Lord, or some of your Bibles will say, strengthening yourself in the Lord. How many of you have ever done the limbo? Limbo, anybody here, couple people? I, I wonder how low you have gotten when you've done the limbo. Um, I've done it, it was ugly, and it wasn't very good. And I know many, many years ago, I don't know if any of you remember, we had a Hawaiian luau in the church basement there, and we did the limbo, and I don't think anybody did super really, really good. But I did look it up. The world record limbo person went under eight and a half inches. Okay, as a human, Um, actually. Now take your notes and put them sideways or your song sheet. That's eight and a half inches. And they were able to get under it. And when you ask the question, how low can you go? I can't even imagine it, lower than that. Uh, As we look at our life today, I want you to think about what has been the lowest point of your life what has been the lowest and maybe you are there today maybe not maybe tomorrow (laughs) maybe the next day Uh, but what we want to look at is a time where discouragement comes in but not just your normal kind of discouragement uh where you know you get a few hours by yourself and a little bit of music or something and and you perk up and you feel good again Uh, we're talking about a lowness that maybe persists that as you look at it, inside your deep heart, you don't see hope. You don't see an answer. You don't see life being good again. And that's what we wanna look at today. You see, lowness can come by an event and we're in the middle of a pandemic and confusion and things like that. That can bring people low for different reasons. Um, It can be lowness because we're in a sinful world. And as we talked about in weeks past, there is a Satan who wants to devour us. Uh, There is an enemy after us that can bring us low. Some lows are inflicted on us. Uh, Satan desires, um, as the scriptures say, like to Peter, to sift him. Uh, The choices of others sometimes inflict lowness on us. There are times, though, that lowness is invited anybody ever get low because it's your own fault (laughs) you made a choice you've done something and because of that you have reaped the consequences and you've been brought very very low because of that there's lows that come from wayward family or children broken relationships uh, that maybe were once sweet and and we're low because we don't seem to be able to do what we need to do to fix them Uh, It seems out of our control. Sometimes our lows are from physical or organic issues that affect our body or our mind. And it brings us into a state of being very, very low. And it's wonderful when someone is around us uh, to bring encouragement and positive words that will lift us. But what do we do when the words, the positive words of people, and that presence of people isn't available? Is there a way to strengthen our hearts and encourage our hearts, even when the help of people doesn't seem to be around? As we read 1 Samuel in chapter 30, and we're going to be looking a lot in 30, chapter 30 today, we read these words. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Now this verse, it's not real encouraging. Uh, If you were participating in it, you would say, this could really bring you low if you lived in Ziklag. This is not a good thing. But I wanna give a little bit of an explanation about David because we're looking to David today and perhaps, arguably, what was the lowest point of his life, and how he got there. Uh, So some of the background in it uh, comes in chapter 27, and you really have to go back to chapter 26 to read it all the way through to see what brings David to his lowest of low points. But in 27, verse 1, we read, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And if you know anything about Bible history, that doesn't sound like a good place to live. Uh, Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So to put it into context and what's happening here, if you read all of chapter 26, you're going to see one of the greatest high points of David's life. Uh, he was on, he was fleeing from Saul, but in this particular time, uh, in the evening, Saul's camp was asleep, and Abner, his general, was sound asleep, and, and it was uh, Abishai and David snuck into the camp, and if you know that story from years gone by, and, and, and Saul's spear and his water jug were, were right by him, and, and Abishai said to David, here's your chance, kill the guy. And David says, I will not lift my hand up against the king's anointed. And he wouldn't kill him, but he took the spear and he took the water jug with him. I mean, this is like a great victory. This is huge to see God intervene. And it says God even uh, put an extra deep sleep on Saul and his army so they wouldn't wake up. And some of you are like, can I get some of that sleep? I'd love to have some of that super deep sleep. Uh, so so as they do this, David from the outskirts kind of yells into Abner and said, like, kind of taunts him a little bit. Like, Abner, I, I don't think you were doing your job very good last night because <laughs> look what I got. Uh, and, and Saul seemingly, at least on the outside, is repentant and thankful to David. And as the chapter ends up in chapter 26, it seems like Saul is kind of saying, all right, David, you win. I will not keep chasing you. Enter verse 1 of chapter 27. Then David said in his heart. A lot of times our hearts can be very deceiving. They can whisper things and say things that are the voices of the enemy more than the voices of God. Um, Have any of you ever had that problem where you just talk yourself into difficulty and, and you imagine things and you think, well, what if this and what if that? And I think that's kind of what's happening with David here. He's looking at the situation where Saul, if he could be believed, was going to back off some. And he had actually said to David, you're going to succeed in whatever you've done because of the way you handled this and the kind of person you are. But as it turns out, David's like, I'm going to, have to go live with the Philistines now. Bad move. It's almost like saying after living in Michigan and our family's been here, there's nothing better for me to do than to go back to New Jersey. I know what that would mean. That's not a good thing. I don't want to live there. Uh, It's not a place of blessing, and it would be just kind of like running away, and that's what David's going to do. So as he heads out, he had been on the run from Saul for many years. And as he takes off, he's like, he, he doesn't see the hand of God. He doesn't feel the hand of God at this point. He just takes off and goes to live with the Philistines uh, he goes with 600 of his mighty men or sympathizers uh, that he had kind of gathered along the way. So they go into the Philistine land and they kind of ask for a place to live. Where where can we live? We don't want to live in the, in the uh, royal area because we don't deserve that. We're kind of outsiders. Just give us our own little space and we will serve you. Now, David had tried this previously in his life and it didn't go well and if you know the story uh, of David how he uh, had to act like a madman to be able to get a, out of the situation, well, he comes back now to the very same person uh, that he had done this with before but he's, he's kind of putting himself out there as a potential servant of this Philistine and, and, and this uh, king of the Philistines or one of the kings of the Philistines. So he fled uh, to the enemy with his men, and he becomes almost like a sort of policeman or a bandit in the area. And as he goes, he's given the job, or he's supposed to help uh, make his, his uh, Philistine lord rich. So what he does is he goes out as a bandit and he's supposed to be kind of policing the area and and kind of attacking his own people, Israel, but he doesn't really do that. He goes out and he attacks some of the Philistine areas and gets in skirmishes, brings back the wealth, kills people. And then when when the general comes to him, he says, well, you know, um, Achish, what I did really was I attacked Israel but he didn't. He really attacked Achish's people, the Philistines. So he's kind of like a double agent here. And this isn't like the highest point of his life in any way, shape or form. He did this for one year and four months as he was living there, raiding for Achish and making him rich. So as the spiral continues and we see what happens next, war breaks out between Israel and the Philistines. So you have David living in enemy territory, kind of being like a double agent, but now these Philistines are supposed to go to war against David's own people. That's kind of like between a rock and a hard place. What do you do if you're trying to play both sides of the fence? You're hiding from your own people because you're afraid of Saul, and you're also not really dealing well with the people that you're living with right now. So war breaks out in chapter 29, you can read about it. Uh, David has all of his army and his men fall in with the Philistine lords to be counted, I guess, as they're about to go to battle. So they're all in the back kind of saying, okay, we're going to go fight against Israel, our own people. Now, we don't really know and the scriptures don't tell us what David was going to do. Uh, Was he really going to fight his people or was he going to kind of do what he's been doing all along and then turn and fight against the Philistines? The scriptures really don't say because it doesn't get it that far. The Philistines look and see, what what are those Hebrew guys doing in the back there? Uh, They're not going to go fight with us because we can't have any confidence in what they will do or what they won't do. So David gets rejected even by his own enemies. They're saying, you go back to Ziklag. You're not going to fight with us. And Achish try to, you know, gets in there and uh, vouches for David a little bit, but the Philistine Lord say, we'll have none of that. You have to go back to where you came from. At that point, enter the Amalekites. These were enemies, both of the Philistines and of Israel, uh, not good people. Uh, And in that time, while David was away having his troops counted, While he was away there, the the Amalekites came in, and that verse that I read at the very beginning, the burning of Ziklag and the taking away captive is what took place. So David comes home and and finds that his temporary home, the place he was hiding, had been burned to the ground. Everyone that they loved had been stolen away. That is pretty low. Everything you hold dear, everything that you own is now gone. You have nothing. And you would think that was the lowest that you could ever go. And we read these verses in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 30. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's low. Have you ever been there? That you've cried every tear you could cry. It didn't feel like there was anything less and you're just exhausted and low and you would cry more if you could, but you couldn't. And these are all the David's mighty men with him they were so low that there was no more strength to mourn for what had taken place. You'd say, well, maybe he's not at his lowest because at least he's still got his buds with him. And that's what you have to write in your notes. It's a very theological word. He's still got his buds, his men, his, they're, they're with him. So they're gonna pick him up. They're going to encourage him. So you have to kind of imagine David with his men weeping more than they have ever wept before. And as David is standing there, perhaps thinking, at least I get some comfort from these men, we read these words. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in Saul, each for his sons and daughters. So any place that David could potentially have gotten comfort and encouragement from was gone. He could not go back to the or he couldn't go to the Amalekites they had just stolen his whole family. He couldn't go to the Philistines they were killing his people. He couldn't go to Israel because there was a price on his head. He was a wanted man. He couldn't go to his friends because they were as discouraged as he was and blaming him for it. That's it he's low. There is no place on earth for him to draw comfort from. And this is where the story of David turns in a dramatic kind of way. And this is the same way that our story can turn when we're low like that as well. And this becomes the essence of joyous living, to be able to see what David sees. And it's to have a relationship with God, not dependent on circumstances and you can fill that in in your notes. Not dependent on circumstances. It's not so hard to have a faith when God's giving you things, and I'm getting stuff, and it's going well. That's not really that hard to be connected with church and have everything going well, because I'm getting, I'm getting, and this person's helping, ah, this is great, I love it. It's like a potluck dinner every day. Uh, You know, this is great, I'm loving it. But when things start to change, and I start losing things, it's kind of like Job's friends just curse God and die. It's, it, if he's not giving, then why are you even following him? Because it, that kind of faith is looking at circumstances. And when circumstances turn, so does that person's heart. So we need to have a kind of faith even during COVID times or any time that gets beyond the circumstance that I'm in and draws strength from somewhere else. And there's three quick things about David that you can read from his response and what he says there. Because the key thing is, we read these words, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You don't see that kind of speech in the chapter before or the chapters before that, because God's kind of been pushed away. But when there's no other place of encouragement in the world for David, he said, it says in the scriptures, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. First thing about David is he kind of owned his own soul. He owned his own soul. He took responsibility for his heart spiritually before the Lord. I've seen very many people when times get tough and, 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 and their, their life begins to tank, it's never their fault. It's always somebody else, and as you talk to them, they're angry at this person, and angry at that person, and the church didn't do this, or my friend didn't do that, my parents didn't do that. And it's really at the bottom of everything. They don't think it's their fault, their problem, because it's, it's all happened to them. See, there has to become a place, if I'm going to have a joyous life, where I own my own heart. And I take responsibility for where I am, what I've done, and what happens. And I say, Lord, you are the changer of all of that. You are the forgiver. You are the one who enters into the mess that's been inflicted or I've invited. And as I do that, I will own what I've done and where I am. You know, if you think about, it'd be fun to list all of the possible things David could have done. At this low point in his life, I have a couple. Of, he could have just gone to bed and slept for a few weeks and just not even got out of bed, just checked out of everything. He could have gone to Amazon.com and bought stuff and made himself hey, I'm low, I'm low, I'm gonna go buy things. He, he could have gone to the local chocolate store and just shoved chocolate in his face until, until he couldn't eat anymore. He could have become angry. He could have done a lot of different things. But he did the only sensible thing at this point. He encouraged himself in the Lord. David also knew where strength was, where strength was. You will hear people tell you, you've got to draw from your inner strength. You've got to get down inside your heart and and pull all you can and all that you have, and your own strength will get you through. Uh, That's not true. And that doesn't work at all. You see, I used to think uh, that Christian life was you follow Jesus and you become stronger as a person as you go. And I don't think that's the picture that Christianity has. It's now you don't get stronger. You're going to be as weak as the day you came to Christ. You have just learned to depend on his strength. And the growth in the Christian life is kind of twofold. One is I really see how crummy I am. And I see more crumbs as time goes on, and sometimes they're giant cornflakes. You know, I see the sin inside of me worse than I ever saw it. But I also see my own inadequacy. I see my need of him more than ever. So if I'm going to have strength, it's going to come from him. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from a self-help book. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily even come from other people because they have troubles too, and they might need encouragement themselves. And the third thing about David is that he knew that God was with him number one but he also knew that God was for him. God was for him. I know many believers would find a great change and a breakthrough in their heart if they believe from the bottom of their soul that God was on their side. They feel like God somehow forgot them has forsaken them, and and, and they're really not, God's not really, really in love with them, God's tolerating them, and that he's really not a good God, because if he was a good God, he would do this right now, and he didn't do it, so they may not vocalize it, and they may, but they may not, but inside, there's anger, there's bitterness, because they haven't been convinced that God is a good God, and is really for them. In the book of Job, we kind of hear some echoes of that here about God being for us. Job said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This attitude is what saw Job through. Believing that God is good, even though right now it looks like he's trying to kill me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He didn't understand anything about his situation, no clue whatsoever, and felt, he felt, that God was against him, not for him. But at the same time, he knew through the eyes of faith that God was for him. So that enabled him to say, though he slay me in everything I see and feel, I will trust him because I know that he's for me. I know that in my heart. If you remember Satan, when he had his charge against Job, he said this, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Basically, they're saying Job, is, or Satan's saying Job is in it for the stuff. You take the stuff away, Job will not follow you. He will turn and go the other direction. Job, Job's reply, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, rebuffs Satan's accusation. Basically, Job is saying, though God should pull down every hedge around me in my life and lay me bare as the wilderness, yet I will cling to him with the firmest of faith. That's quite a big deal. To be able to say, if everything that is a hedge around me is taken away, I will not be moved. That is faith beyond circumstances. See, when our heart cries out something like, if I only knew why this was happening, I would be okay. Now, I wonder if that's really true, but we say that, uh, and that's kind of like I will lean on my own understanding of the situation for the degree of comfort that I have in my life. And you know, I don't see any place where God says, in order for you to be happy and joyous, you need to understand everything I'm doing. I don't see that anywhere. And God never puts our understanding as the key factor in joy or being able to deal with a low, low situation. See, when comfort comes from what I understand and how much I get, that's very shallow and short-lived. Because honestly, when it comes to how God's work, God works. We don't have a clue. We don't get it. We don't see how his hand pulls things together from different places. Uh, It says that the comfort or the peace of God passes understanding. And if I'm waiting for God to get me to a place where I understand all of the junk that's happening in my life, I will never find peace. I will always be low because I won't get it. His ways are beyond my ways. His ways are past finding out. Um, We've had the electronic book, Screwtape Letters, available for you on the website. If you want to get that, you can. I just want to quote from it. If you're not familiar with Screwtape Letters, basically there's a a demon, Screwtape, and his nephew, Wormwood. And he's tutoring Wormwood in how to bring Christians down, how to attack them and it's a little bit of satire and you have to understand the perspective that things are being uh, said from. And it's kind of from a demon's perspective. And I just want to read these words, especially in relation to the dynamic of the trials in the life of the believer. He, screw tape says, meaning God, wants them, meaning us, to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even when they stumble. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him, God, seems to have vanished, and asks, why has he forsaken me? And still obeys. That's Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And you can't do that if at the core of your being you are not convinced that he is for you, that he is a good God, and that he has your back, and that he is growing and nurturing you, and in ways that you will never understand, he's bringing all things after the counsel of his own will for our good, our character growth for the good of others. And even if I don't feel it, even if I can't see it, I need to know it, especially when I'm at the lowest points. Because when I'm at lowest points, if I go by what I feel, if I go by what I see, I will be forever down and low. But when I strengthen myself like David in the Lord, I see God as good. I see him as the one that can help me. Spurgeon said this, There is a great appropriateness in our trusting while God is slaying us. Those two things go well together, though it may not so appear. Because when God is for us, and we know he's with us, and he is is the bottom line of our faith, has not swavered in his character, there is that ability, the appropriateness of trusting, even though I don't feel it, his presence. Even though I don't see his presence, I know he has not forsaken me. How do you, what do you base something like that on? How can you say that it's an appropriate thing? Well, Psalm 30 verses four and five says, sing praises to the Lord, O ye his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. And some of you know this verse, finish it joy comes in the morning and the idea of that joy coming in the morning is it's a joy that's not going to leave it's an abiding kind of joy david could have kept turning his back on god he could have kept that and just going his way if he had done that the day of the joy would have just been that further much further off when you stay the course god's day of blessing his day of joy will be realized. Little did David know at this lowest point that ashes to beauty was only three days away. Everything was going to turn around in his life. You see, on the okay from God, David pursued the Amalekites And as, I will say, luck as a term of speech, as providence would have it, stumbled upon a sickly servant who the Amalekites had left in the wilderness. Just so happens, David comes along and the servant's there and says, listen, if you don't take me back and let me get killed, I'm going to tell you where the Amalekites are. I will lead you right to them, as the providence of God would have it. So they do, and they follow the Amalekites, and they regain everything that had been lost. You see there are a couple kingdom principles that I just want to mention in passing and and then pull all of this together. Uh, A couple things that are always at work in the lowest of low or the highest of high in my situation. One is that there's a universal recompense from God or his mercy is always upon us. And the second thing is that there's an honor that he gives universally to all of his children. Verse 19 is the mercy or the universal recompense. Uh, Mercy is when we're in a pitiable pitiable condition. God extends his love to us. In verse 19, we say, "When when David had gone after the Amalekites and had won, nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back reminds me of the verse where it says that God restores the years that the locusts have eaten. Nothing is lost. Anything that we think has been lost in this life through suffering and adversity in the kingdom of God, when joy comes in the morning, God replaces it. And the scriptures don't make it sound like he just doesn't bring that stuff back. If you read in the New Testament, he says, you know, those that have lost things for the kingdom's sake will get it a hundredfold when the kingdom comes. So God, in his mercy, any loss that takes place, he restores, he brings back, he honors us. And in verse 24, you see another kind of grace that was given, you see in, in this um, battle as he was pursuing the Amalekites, he had 600 men, but they, got, they were fighting going so fast, so far, that 200 of them got really tired. Uh, so they were left behind to watch the baggage and to make sure the camp was safe. So only 400 of them went on. So you think if you're one of those 400 that went on and you pursued the whole way and you got the victory, you might think that the spoils should only go to the 400 because they're the ones that went the whole way. Those 200, they don't deserve so much. They didn't do as much. And this is where the universal honor of the kingdom of God is pictured. Uh, For as his share is, David says, who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And that became a statute in Israel from that day forward. So not only was the mercy universal and everybody got back everything, the grace was universal as well because in the kingdom of God, some plant, some water, some have roles that are public, some have roles that are private. It doesn't matter. God's grace is lavished upon watching the baggage or fighting the battle. It's all part of his kingdom plan. So as we kind of pull some of this together and, and think of ourselves at our lowest of lows and drawing strength, encouraging ourselves from God directly when others may not be able to, a couple things are apparent and you see little glimpses here of God's providence in David's life even at the low time in the first first thing you can see in the battle with the philistines saul's three sons the three major heirs to the throne that looks like they legally could have been all died along with saul in that battle clearing the way for the most part for david to be able to go to the throne because of the rejection from the philistines and david being forced 50 miles away Uh, David was so far away, he couldn't have been blamed for the death of Saul, which would have looked like he was usurping the throne. It could have looked like he he could have easily become, I should say, a hated man by all of Israel for killing the king. But God says, you know what? In your lowest day, I am working some wonderful things that you can't see. In fact, I'm going to remove you far enough so that you can't even be blamed for what's going to happen in that battle that really is going to help you get to your kingdom and and for you to become king. And not only that, the rejection of the Philistines, which brought David so low, and he's like, "How anybody left? Got him back to his hometown, or his, his temporary town, I should say, in enough time for the trail for the Amalekites to still be hot. In other words, if he had actually gone to battle, it could have been months before he got home. The Amalekites would have been so far away, he may never have seen his family again. But because of this devastating situation, God was protecting and providing for the future. So he could on a hot trail still pursue the family and get everything back again. This rejection, this horrible low was actually used by God to provide something even better and more gracious in the future. And that is a wonderful principle of the Lord. Whenever I'm in a low situation, God never allows anything that doesn't help provide for me or protect me, provide something better for the future. Richest of blessings are often disguised as very dark days. God is at work. He is a good God. Many years ago when I was a teenager, I loved auto racing and I told you before stories of sneaking into Mario Andretti's pit and things like that. This time we were at the Trenton 200 in New Jersey. Uh, Great race, it was wonderful, probably about 20,000 people there. And they're gonna have a drawing for free tickets to the Charlotte 500. 20,000 people all with their tickets out, looking at the numbers, waiting to see, and I get my ticket out, 20,000 people. And I'm looking and we're following each number as they read them real slow. Guess whose number got picked? It was me. Out of all of those people, and you should have seen the dirty looks I got from the old race guys and this young teenager gets tickets and an all expense trip to the Charlotte 500. And they're like looking at me, I'm like, it's me. I'm the one who gets the the gracious gift and gets all this wonderful stuff. And I was one out of 20,000, and I got picked. Why do I say that? Because every morning, God is holding a drawing. He's saying, who am I going to show grace and mercy to? And unbounded loving kindness, even if they don't feel it. And we're all waiting every morning. (laughs) Is it me? (laughs) Am I going to get it? David, as well as us need to know God pulls your ticket every day. Every day he pulls your ticket. When it's time for grace and mercy, he pulls it out, and it's your ticket number, and it's the ticket number of the person next to you. There isn't anybody who loses. It's not one in 20,000. It's all of 20,000 if they would bow their knee to him. You see, that's the lesson of encouraging yourself in the Lord. When I wake up tomorrow morning, he just pulled my ticket of grace and mercy, and I've got all that he has. He's not holding back. He's not somehow skimping or angry. He is for me, even when I don't feel it and I don't know it in any way, shape, or form. What if the sun were to come out right now, we were to all step outside and just let it come down on us and feel the warmth of it. You could legitimately say, this is my son. My sun is shining on me. And the person next to you could look up and say, no, that's my son. It's shining on me. And the next person could say, no, that's my son. It's shining on me. Are they right? Shining on everybody. You see, when it comes to God, you need to know that he is your God. So that when you get up in the morning my god is shining on me and just like the sun is not diminished by shining on everyone so is it with our god he is not diminished any way shape or form one of the problems the longer you've been a christian is you can tend to make theoretical what god has meant to be personal so in other words if i give you the theology quiz is God a good God? Of course God's a good God. Let me tell you all the reasons he's a good God. I've been in church, I've been in Sunday school, and he's good because of this attribute and this attribute. And you can theoretically give all the right answers. It's like the child who's asked any question in Sunday school or children's programs. What's the answer? It's always Jesus. You know, you just give it. And I know that one teacher was talking one time, what, what climbs a tree and eats nuts? And oh, the kid's like, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. That's theoretical. You, You just know certain things are supposed to be said, but down in your heart, you don't necessarily believe them. God and his character, the fact that he is your God, that he pulls your grace and mercy ticket every single day, is not theory. It's not the right Sunday school answer. It is who he is. He meant it to be personal. When you get up tomorrow morning, say, my God, thank you for pulling my ticket of grace and mercy. When you're at the lowest of lows, that's the encouragement you need to have, to know that God is for you and with you, and that he is a good God, not an absentee father, not somebody who just doesn't care. He is full of grace and mercy. His loving kindness endures forever. Father, help us. In our difficulties. Help us in our lowness. May our strength come from you, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we see. May we say with Job, even if it looks like you're slaying us, we will trust you because you've pulled our ticket. In Jesus name, Amen. <laughs> holy 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 though the darkness hide thee there are times when the darkness hides the face of god but his face has not turned may we be a people who encourage ourselves in the lord at our lowest of times and our medium low times and at all times father thank you for your love and grace i thank you for your mercy I thank you that even when we don't understand and can't see anything good and, and our hearts are just faced toward the ground, that you are there to pick us up and to strengthen our hearts in who you are. Thank you for teaching David that. Lord, I pray that you will teach us that every day that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.